Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he was born of a woman and that he went to the cross for our sins and died there, that you raised him from the dead on the third day. We thank you that it's so straightforward to become saved and that it's just to hear this good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again and believe it. And whenever a person believes that truth about Jesus Christ, he's born again. He's moved from death to life. He has eternal life and you've declared him righteous in your eyes forever. Father, today we also want to thank you for your word. We thank you that it is meant to build us up, but to challenge us also, Father, instruct us rebuke us at times. We thank you that it does all of those things and it's powerful. We ask today, Father, that the message today would be the same in that same way, uh, convicting and edifying at the same time for each of us. We also pray this morning, Father, for those who are members of the body of Christ, particularly those who are having a difficult time going through some kind of persecution or suffering. We just pray for them, Father, and uh, we know that you have uh, watching over them and we just trust in you that you will take care of them in the best way. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning again, everyone. As we get started today, let me uh, remind you of a couple of things. First of all, this month we're featuring Pastor Kingsley Amaniki as our missionary. Um, he, of course, was visiting us a couple of months ago. And uh, there's a picture of him in front of our church, in front of the back of our church. Um, Just a reminder now, too, he will be on a mission trip to South Africa coming right up September 18th to the 30th, 2019. September 18th to the 30th, 2019. Please keep that in prayer. If the Lord leads you, please uh, help support him in a financial way. Again, Pastor Kingsley and Maniki, if you do want to support him financially, um, best thing to do at this point is to... Write a check to Lighthouse Bible, put him in the, in the um, notes part, and we'll make sure it gets to him. I say that because um, at this point, I won't get into details, but at this point, um, his website doesn't allow you to pay. So that's the way we're going to do it. In any event, um, one other reminder, too, that uh, we have Bibles in the back. If anyone needs one, just raise your hand and we'll get one to you. All right, we're in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians now. And uh, moving right along, and the title of today's message comes from 1 Corinthians 10, and it's this, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I want you to notice something about this title, what it does not say. It does not say, let he who stands take heed lest he fall. Rather, let he who thinks he stands, you see? It's, it's thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. That's the problem. That's the danger. We'll see this today because today what 1 Corinthians 10 leads off with is a look at the history of Israel in the wilderness, in the desert, those 40 years in the desert. And so this, this idea of arrogance, and by the way, unbelief, is the thing that will, will, will cause us to fall. We're going to see that in the life of Israel in the, in the wilderness and see how it applies to the Corinthians in the first century, and then, of course, how it applies to us. So that's where we're headed today. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. 
Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. That's from the book of Exodus. We'll see that passage today. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Of course, these are examples in a negative way, that we shouldn't crave evil things, that we shouldn't act immorally, that we shouldn't try or test the Lord, and that we shouldn't grumble. Now, seeing these things as they are, it, would show, it might suggest that, that all of us fall into these things, and it's true we do, but today we're going to look at exactly how extreme the behavior of the, of the Israelites was, because that's part of the background that you have to, have to understand. Again, verse 10, no grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come, church age. (coughs) Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. There are only a few commands in chapters 8 and 9 in this section of chapter 10, so we need to pay close attention to them. You know, in chapter 9, it was run in such a way that you may win. In chapter 8, it was basically to say, think about your brothers and sisters. That what you may be doing could be harmful to them. And here, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest that he does not fall. 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Well, that's our passage this morning from verse 1 to verse 13. <coughs> Chapter, chapters 8 to 10, as we've seen, address the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul presents four arguments against it. The issue, three chapters, think of it, on the subject of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And again, you know, that's not something that most of us are tempted with today. So there has to be other meaning there besides the immediate situation that the Corinthians faced. That does apply to us, and we're going to see some more of that today. But the, but the point is, that he's dealing with is eating meat sacrificed to idols. And again, Paul, Paul in these sections, these chapters, presents four arguments against it. Why should they not, why they should not eat food sacrificed to idols? Oops. The first one is that we need to consider the needs of weaker brothers. When we think we have the freedom to do something, we think we have the knowledge that allows us to do something, but we don't consider the effect that that behavior might have 
on the needs of other brothers and sisters, those who may be new to the, to the faith, new Christians in particular, or those who have brought with them things from their old way of life that are still bothersome and that they could still fall into, we should take that into account before we just act according to our knowledge. That was the lesson of chapter 8. Consider the needs of weaker brothers. That's one of the arguments that Paul is making against eating food sacrificed to idols. Consider the needs of your weaker brothers before you do it. Love will require us to give up our rights and suspend our freedoms at times. That's chapter 8. We've seen that. The second argument he makes in chapter 9, and it's really straightforward, follow Paul's example. Follow Paul's example. In other words, before you just do what you want to do, because you think you have the freedom to do it in your knowledge, consider how Paul had a lot of freedoms as an apostle. He had a lot of privileges as an apostle, and yet he didn't use them, right? Because he he understood that he had a more important goal. He wanted to preach the gospel throughout the known world. He wanted to be all things to all kinds of people so that he may save some of them. And that, his eyes was on that prize. Were, his eyes were on that prize. And so he didn't do the things that he had the freedom to do. And that he's saying, listen, follow my example. Run the weight race in such a way that you may win. If you're, if you're all about your needs and desires, okay, that's going to be a distraction from you winning the race, whatever your race is, whatever objective that the Lord has placed in your life, in your Christian life, there are things that could get in the way, could cause you to fall. In chapter 9, Paul says, see my example, how I avoid those things, and yet I understand that my race isn't finished, and I still have to be alert and focused and disciplined to get to the end of the race as as winning it. That was chapter 9. And Paul and Barnabas had given up so much, remember, for the sake of the gospel, they didn't take a wife with them. They didn't, they didn't charge any money to the, to the church in Corinth and so forth. They gave up so, so much for the sake of the gospel. And since that's true, he then turns to the Corinthians and says, you should be willing to give up eating meat, certain meats only, sacrificed to idols, for the sake of the brethren. So that's the second argument from his own life, looking at him as an example. That's chapter 9. Now chapter 10... In the first part, and this is what we're studying today, this is what we've just read, the third argument he's making is don't repeat Israel's mistakes. You know, in this section, Paul tells us one of the key reasons why the Old Testament is part of the Bible for us, okay? And some of those things weren't even written at the time in which the people that were going through them, they were written after. And those things that were written afterwards are for our instruction, for, as examples to us. And he's saying that Israel... When they were in the desert, when the Lord had brought them out of Egypt in a miraculous, miraculous way, and they were in the desert, they made mistakes. We're going to look at the nature of those mistakes today. But he's telling the Corinthians, watch out because you can make the same ones. So don't repeat Israel's mistakes. That's his third argument. Consider the needs of other brothers. Understand and look at my example as an apostle, Paul writes. And third, don't repeat Israel's mistakes. You got a positive example illustration in Paul's life. You got a negative one in the in the life of Israel in the desert. That's our subject today. Their behavior in the wilderness, Paul holds up of an example of what not to do. You see, when we're learning about proper behavior, we need to understand what our motivation, right? And that's the first thing. Considering the needs of weaker brothers, it's not all about me. It's about others. 
Then the second thing is, show me how to do it in a positive way, right? Show me how to do it. And Paul says, you can look at my life to see a good role model. But when we learn, the other thing we need to learn is what not to do. You see, we need both. Here's how you do it. Here's what you avoid. Here's what you avoid is Israel's mistakes. That's his third argument. And that's where we're in today, chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. And then the fourth one, see, Paul has talked about other brothers. He's talked about himself. He's talked about Israel in the Old Testament. And finally, he's going to turn and directly address the Corinthians themselves. And his message to them, there's multiple parts of it, but it boils down to this. Don't play with fire. In other words, eating food sacrificed to idols can harm your brother. Paul gave up certain things he had the freedom to do in order for the gospel to be preached. Israel made mistakes in this area, and they, 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 they... fell, and they weren't able to go to the promised land, almost all of them. He says, learn, go to school on all of this, and don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. When you eat meat sacrificed to idols, you're playing with fire. In other words, it can damage and destroy you every bit as much as it can your weaker brothers. That's the fourth argument. And that's next week. That's chapter 10, 14 to 22. They need to understand, and we'll see this next week, that they are putting themselves in grave danger by continuing this behavior of eating in idle temples. So it's others, Paul, Israel, and themselves. Those are his four arguments. Other brothers, Paul, Israel, and themselves. By the way, there's one other thing that he does at the very end. After he does all four of these arguments, then he says, now, here are the particular things I want you to do and not do. He's very practical. He gives you the arguments, and then at the end he turns and says, now I want you to do these things and avoid these things. So they understand exactly what he's talking about. And that's the end of chapter 10. He ends by giving them a set of instructions. That's chapter 10, 23 through 11, 1. I'm just giving you an overview of the big picture today. And we'll be on that subject in two weeks. Okay? So that's the big picture of how Paul deals with the subject of eating Food sacrificed to idols. But today we're talking about the third argument. That's what Paul deals with in the first 13 verses of chapter 10. And again, the message is simple. Don't repeat Israel's mistakes. We're going to look at what those mistakes are this morning. Let's begin and go back to chapter 10, verse 1. And let's go through this together. Chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers... We're all under the cloud and all pass through the sea. He is talking about the 12 tribes of Israel here. The 12 tribes of Israel. That's interesting in a way because that tells you something about the makeup of the Corinthian church. That in fact, there are, there are lots of Jewish people in, the, in that first generation in, first, in the city of Corinth too. You'll see that if you read the book of Acts, and we went there a little bit. You'll see that as always, Paul first went to the synagogues. And the, and the early leaders of the church at Corinth were Jewish people. So there was, a, there was an opportunity for everybody there to learn about what we would call today the Old Testament. But back then, those were the only scriptures that were around because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Okay? So the subject is on Israel, the fathers of the 12 tribes. They were all under the cloud. They were all passed through the sea. They passed through the sea when the Lord supernaturally opened up the Red Sea for them to pass through. Amazing thing. I want you to think about this. That they saw that. They saw the power of God. They saw God fulfill His promise to them under the most impossible circumstances. 
when they had the Egyptian army, the powerful army, right, right, at, the, right at their heels, when they were, had mountains on both sides, they couldn't go left or right, and they had a sea in front of them. A desperate, impossible situation. We have desperate, impossible situations. But if God has made us a promise, he will follow through. He will open up that Red Sea, whatever that is in our lives. The thing we thought we couldn't get through, he'll get us through. That's what he's talking about. They were all under the cloud. Now, the cloud was uh, what, what the Lord supernaturally placed above them so that they know he's with us and he's leading us. That's something that we have to be reminded of. He's with us. We sang that today, right? He's with us, safe and secure from all alarm. Would that we would believe that. You see it? And he's leading us. Now, that's a little more straightforward because he's leading us through his word. So we can, that's, that's, the, that's our cloud, as it were, the word of God. Verse 2. All were baptized into Moses. Baptism doesn't always mean water. Okay? Baptism really means placed into and permanently identified with. You see, they were placed under the authority of Moses, and they were permanently identified with him to the extent that when they, when they rebelled against Moses, the Lord took it as a personal affront. They're actually rebelling against me. Why? Because I, place, I placed you into Moses. I baptized you into Moses. Okay? And he said that, that they were, all of them were in the cloud and in the sea. All of them ate the same spiritual food. When they were hungry, the Lord provided supernatural food. It literally rained down from heaven. And, and they all ate that. They all drank the same spiritual drink. When they were thirsty, the Lord had Moses strike. Think about it. Strike a rock. Think about it. You're in the desert. All you see is sand and rocks. And you think, how am I going to have anything to drink? Why did the Lord bring me out here? And he says, you have, you have very little faith, but I'm going to perform another miracle right now. I'm going to have Moses, the one you were baptized into, and I'm going to have him simply strike a rock, and, and waters will be overflowing. As a matter of fact, those waters that, that started with that rock kept overflowing, followed them like a mighty river. You don't always think of this, but that's what happened. They had water to drink. And that was another supernatural miracle. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. It was really Christ in the cloud. Christ is the rock. We sang about that this morning. There you have it. Miracle after miracle after miracle. But then a really sad verse. Verse 5. Nevertheless, in spite of all of that, in spite of all of the things that where the Lord's come through in the past, they still did things that were against the plan of God that made him not well pleased. We're going to see what, God, what makes God pleased, by the way, in a minute. With most of them... God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. That meant they were, they, they were dying. They died in the wilderness, almost all of them. So, but of course, Paul isn't talking directly to the people of Israel here. He's talking to the church at Corinth and to us. What he's saying is, listen, what, what you guys have come to me with is the idea that you can eat food sacrificed to idols because you think you have knowledge. You think you stand. Okay, but there may be some things you're not aware of. Don't we do that? Don't we sometimes only focus on the knowledge that makes our case, that allows us to do what we want, and we put aside other things that if we were made aware of them would change how we see it and hopefully change how we behave? Yes. So he's saying there's a whole history here that you guys have not even thought about that was written for your instruction. 
to be an example. You need to learn this. That's what he's saying. He says, listen, I talked in the last chapter about the race that we are running. He says, now I want to show you about people who did not win their race. Israel in the desert. An entire generation of men the Lord rescued out of Egypt. By the way, that's a picture, a type of our salvation. And I say that because, remember, at the very beginning of this letter, Paul says, you are saints. He's talking to believers. We never want to forget that. They were all rescued out of Egypt. They saw the ten plagues that devastated Pharaoh's land. They witnessed the Red Sea parted and Pharaoh's army destroyed. They were fed with supernatural food, given water to drink by a miracle, saw the cloud by day and the pillar by night, the pillar of fire, signifying that the Lord was with them always and leading them in the desert. And yet, and yet, all but two of them, all but two of them perished in the wilderness. That's an incredible indictment of this generation. I mean, there was probably no generation of people who saw as much of the power of God as they did. And yet, and yet, they were disobedient, grumbling, murmuring, complaining, idol-worshiping idiots, if I could put it that way. You see, the one thing that they weren't able to do was the one thing that pleases God. And we'll see what that is. They failed. They did not win their race. Their race was to get to the promised land in Canaan, and all but two fell short. They died. Their bodies were scattered across the wilderness. They failed, and they failed spectacularly. And God was not pleased with them. You know, for all of us, there's one thing, and one thing only, but you have to have it in order for God to be pleased with you. You know, it's not living right. It's not good deeds, as you might think. How does God, why, how, what is it about me that makes God pleased with me? It's not those things. But this one thing is something that Israel did not have, and that led to all of their failures. All the things we're going to see, the idolatry, the, the, the grumbling, all of that stemmed from one thing that they didn't have. I'm going to put a couple of verses up. Jude 5 talking about this generation in the wilderness. He said, now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, and here's the key, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed, laid low in the wilderness, bodies scattered across the desert, destroyed those who did not perform good deeds. Is that what it says? No. It says what? Those who did not believe. That's the one thing you've got to have in order to please God. You've got to believe. That's it. Paul says, Paul says, first of all, you know what? Faith, salvation by grace through faith, not of works. Our salvation is based on one thing, faith. Afterwards, he says, the life I live, this whole life after I'm born again, all right, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God. That's the, that is the thing that pleases God, faith. We see that also in Hebrews 11.6. states it right out. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's what they didn't have. And it was impossible for that generation in the desert to please him. In other words, he, again and again, he, he, he forgave them for things. But the one thing that he kept seeing that it could not please him was the fact that they didn't believe him. 
They didn't trust in Him. They had seen all of these things that should have caused them to believe in Him no matter what, and they didn't. That was the thing that God was not pleased with. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. For he who comes to God must believe. Must believe what? That He exists. That He is. And that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. You see, they didn't believe that either. And, and the same challenge is for us. Yes, faith, faith alone in Christ alone. By grace through faith is how we're saved. But every day, the Lord asks us, please, continue to trust me. This is the key to winning your race, is to continue to trust the Lord, continue to believe Him. When He makes a promise, believe that He's going to keep it. That can be very hard when our circumstances are against us. But, He's saying, in our case, He's saying, I perform miracles for you too. As a matter of fact, I brought you from death to life, the Lord says. The Lord says, at the moment you believe in me, the Holy Spirit came to indwell in your heart. That's a miracle. He said that, that I placed you into my son, Jesus Christ, forever. That when I look at you, I see Jesus. That I can declare you to be righteous in my eyes because of the blood of Christ. These are all miracles. That a lost sinner could be declared righteous by God. A, a, a sinner who's unholy, sinful. God's enemy, on the basis of somebody else's sacrifice, Jesus, God can now look at that, that sinner, that, that fallen man, dead in his trespasses and sins, the enemy of God, and they did nothing else but believe in Christ, and now he declares them righteous in his eyes forever. That's a miracle. So we have the same thing that the, the folks in Israel had, the Jewish people had. But without faith, it's also impossible for us to please him go forward in our race. So very simply, he was not pleased with them because they did not believe the Lord. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe he would provide for them. Do you? Do you believe and trust that his promises are valid, that there's no expiration date on them? That he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he says that for those who love me, all things are working together for good? But do you believe it? You see, see, if you don't believe it, then you're not going to live like it. If you don't believe it, you're not going to have peace in your heart, which is what he wants you to have. You're not going to have this relationship of child to father, but with a perfect father. All the promises of God are true and for you. But do you believe them? That's the question. Same question that he had for the generation of Israel in the desert. They didn't believe that he would get them to the promised land. And their own unbelief was the only thing that caused them not to get there. Isn't that ironic? It's totally ironic. He, they didn't believe he would defeat their enemies. You know, one time the Lord said, Hey, Moses, send 12 spies into that land of Canaan. Have them come back and tell you what they see there. And, you know, 10 of them were like, Oh, my gosh, there's giants. We're going to get killed. And yet God had promised he was going to bring them into the land and defeat their enemies. Only two came back and said, it is a land that God said it would be. A land flowing with milk and with honey. Let's go. They were only two years into their traveling around the desert when, they, when they, this event occurred. And yet, what did the people do? They listened to the majority. Right? Isn't that often what people do? Okay, well, let's see. There's one pastor saying this, and there's 50 saying that. He's got to be wrong. they got to be right, you see. But that doesn't matter. Two, ten, one, a hundred, none of that matters. What matters? The promises of God matter. The word of God matters, you see. 
and they didn't they forgot about that. Okay? They didn't believe that they would be rescued from anything else. Think about it. They were rescued from the entire army of Pharaoh. They watched them try to get through the same path in the Red Sea that they had just walked through, and yet the waters collapsed and went over them and killed them all. They saw that. And yet, didn't they? Well, you would think that maybe when there's a few giants in the next place they're going to, they might say, man, if the Lord destroyed the whole Egyptian army, of course he's going to do whatever it takes to destroy these other people. You see it? We, we have the same thing. If God saved us while he was en- his enemies, how can he not deny us any, how will he deny us any good thing now that we're his children? It's totally parallel. And yet the people in Israel saw fit to ignore the greater, the, the defeat of the army of, his, of, of Egypt, when they saw the lesser. Oh boy, there's still some enemies in the land. You see it? We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We love the fact that he came through for us when we were his enemies, and now we're his children. But now when we see something in our lives that's, that seems like difficult or scary or unable to overcome, or problematic, or pressured, or persecution. We say the same thing. I mean, I hope we don't, but most, many do. They say, oh man, I don't think God's going to come through for me. Really? You were dead, and he made you alive. You don't think now that you're his children, he's going to give you every good thing? He promised. See, all we need to do is take God at his word, and we're going to have a great life. When we don't, things will not work too well. In our hearts. God will still fulfill his promise. But we'll be, we'll, won't, we won't get it. We won't enjoy it. We won't really see it in that sense. All right. Back in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 to 8, are the specific record of the ways in which they failed. This is Israel now in the desert. 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now, these things happened as examples for us, that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally. We're going to see what, was, what he actually meant by that. You know, it doesn't always mean sexual sin when he says immorality. We kind of put that in there. But this is why he says, no, wait a minute, time out. Go back to the Old Testament scriptures and see what I'm talking about. They acted immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. That's a, that's a particular reference that allows us to find the exact passage in the Old Testament that he's talking about. Nor let us try, test the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. The men of Israel did all of these things that are listed here. Craving evil things, being idolaters acting immorally, testing the Lord, grumbling. But you see, they did them in an extreme fashion, in a really grotesque way. So let us go back to the Old Testament records of the time in the wilderness of the Israel, nation of Israel. Let's see the shocking things that they did. Starting in verse 6 again. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also, as they also craved. Please turn to the old, hold your place in 1 Corinthians 10, because we're going to go back. Basically, what we're going to do is take those things in 6 through 10, one at a time. Go to Old Testament and say, this is what he was talking about. Learn that lesson. Come back to verse 7 and do it again. All right, so we're going to be back and forth between, really, we're only going to go to two books, Numbers and and Exodus, okay? 
<coughs> going back and forth. But in verse 6, the, we find the evil things they craved in Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Let's take a look at what they were craving. What did it mean that what they were craving was evil? Numbers 11, 4 to 6. Numbers 11, 4 to 6. The rabble, I love that word, who were among them. Isn't it true that there's always a rabble around? You know, and they're usually louder and more emotional and all of that. So there's a lot of things externally that would cause people to listen. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. They were craving evil things. Evil just means things that God doesn't want you to crave or desire. And also the sons of Israel wept again. And they said, who will give us meat to eat? They were crying. I mean, you can almost imagine the Lord saying, I promised you I would take care of you. Why are you acting like a bunch of babies? They're crying. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. We love that stuff, tasted so good, there's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Manna, supernatural food. It's kind of interesting. Remember, you, you, you think of the things that you wanted to make your case. Man, I see this all the time. Um, I, I, I refuse... Okay, get this down. I refuse to do marriage counseling anymore. Okay, just so you know that. Why? Because usually you have two people who only want to remember the bad things about the other guy or the other woman. That's what they do. They totally ignore all of the good things and all they want to talk about are the negative things. Why, why I say that is, now, they're, they're basically saying, oh man, it's so lousy what the Lord has us in now. It was so great when we were in Egypt. What are they ignoring? What are they not mentioning? What's in the fine print? They were slaves in Egypt. They were mistreated in Egypt. None of that. All they focus on is food. Now, in a way, I can relate. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's bigger issues here. There's bigger fish to fry, if I could put it that way. Because that's what they remembered. The fish and the garlic and the cucumbers, you know. Mmm. Now our appetite's gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. There's nothing at all to look at except freedom. There's nothing at all to look at except the Lord following us night and day. They didn't say that. They just said, oh, there's manna. We're tired of eating it. But do you know something? The manna was perfect food. I can only imagine if we had some today and the, and, and the uh, scientists took a look at what was in it. It would have been perfect for all the needs of our body. That's how God is. And by the way, it literally, literally came down from heaven. You know, it says, you know, you're waiting for something to come down from heaven. Well, they had food that came down from heaven. Literally, Psalm 78, 24. He rained down manna upon them to eat. And he gave them food from heaven. Food from heaven. All right. It's not angel food cake, but it's food from heaven. So, what's the deal here? Well, instead of that, God's perfect provision... They craved, they had evil desires for what they used to eat in Egypt. In other words, in a way, they wanted to go back to the old ways. They wanted to go back to the ones that, that, mis- that abused them by the way that were pagans. 
They wanted to eat the food that the pagans gave them to eat. Hmm. Does that sound at all like the first Corinthians, the Corinthians that they wanted to eat the pagan food again? See, God's no fool. He's, he's bringing to mind these things because they relate directly to the Corinthians and what they're doing. They thought the food tasted better. Isn't that interesting? I mean, isn't that what happens so often today even? People pick a church on the basis of, well, it looks better. It's bigger. There's more people here. It tastes better. I enjoy myself. I can get my cappuccino right out in the hallway. You know, I can sit back and I'll never be challenged. That tastes better. If I go to this other place, they're going to be teaching God's word directly. You know, that's hard. That's bitter at times. I don't really like the way that God's word tastes. See, that's the thing. They thought it tasted better. But the thing is, the Lord gave them food in abundance. And yet they weren't satisfied with it. They didn't like the way it tasted. They didn't like the fact that it was the same food every day. When you come here, you're going to get the same food every week. The Word of God that's living and powerful. A lot of people get tired of that. And yet, it's a provision of God. And that's what their problem was. They weren't satisfied with what God gave them. How about us? Think about us. Are you today satisfied, completely satisfied with what God has given you. You see, we may not be, be whining about not being able to have cucumbers and melons and garlic, but are we whining about something that we, we think we deserve that God has seen fit not to give us? You see, that's the lesson for us. Okay, back in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 10, 7. 1 Corinthians 10, 7. <coughs> Do not be idolaters. As some of them, Israel in the desert, were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. That's a quotation from the book of Exodus. There was another time when Moses went to meet with the Lord on Mount Sinai. That same Lord that got him out of Egypt and part of the Red Sea and all those other things. Then the Lord said, I want my servant Moses to be up with me now. I'm going to teach him so he can teach you. Well, the people of Israel at some point thought, you know what, Moses is taking too long up there. I want you to think about that. He is communing with the Lord God, and they're saying he's taking too long. You know what I'm saying? And again, another analogy. People are like, oh, you mean in that church we've got to listen to the guy preach for 35 minutes? That's too long. Well, the point is, is that, well, this is God's provision. This is God, and this was literally true. You know, Moses went up to the Lord and got instruction from the Lord for them that would, have, that would give them everything they needed to be able to go to the promised land and defeat their enemies. But, you know, it kind of took too long. You know, come on, Moses, hurry up, hurry up. Can't you just leave God and come back to us? You know, they grew impatient. This turned out to be something called the golden calf incident, if you know what that is. You see, what happened, because they were impatient, the people went to the high priest of Israel, Aaron, And they said, give us another God to worship. You know, that God just talks too much. We want another one. Give us another God. And I don't know why this happened. I can never understand this. But Aaron said, sure. Now, this is the the sidekick of Moses. This is the one who had seen much more about God working because he was right next to Moses for all of these things. 
Aaron's rod was the rod that budded. There were all these things about Aaron that made it such that you would think he would understand that. And since his job was to be the priest representing the people before the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you would think that he would have the brains to say no, or maybe the guts. But he didn't. He complied. They gave him all their gold. It was melted down. Aaron made an idol for them. He made the idol for them, the calf. And it was just like the one that the Egyptians worshipped. Just like the pagan god. He was now crafting out of the gold, by the way, that the Lord had given him. They, they had taken the gold out of Egypt. The purpose was for them to make the, uh, the tabernacle ornate. As a matter of fact, Moses was talk, I mean, the Lord was talking to Moses about the tabernacle while they were doing this. Think of the irony. And they gave it all, and, and then he took that gold that was supposed to be for the, for the um, tabernacle, and they, and they made that an idol. Do you think it's any coincidence that he's making another reference to idol worship here? No, because that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They melted down, they gave him a calf, the Egyptians worshipped it. I want you to see this for ourselves in Exodus 32. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 10, okay, because we're going back. But go to Exodus 32, verse 3. Exodus 32, verse 3. All because Moses was taken too long. All because, you know, they had a very short attention span when it came to the things of the Lord. The one who brought them out of Egypt. The one who sent ten plagues. The one who, who was feeding them all that they need. Yeah, they're impatient with them. Well, we'll give you another day, Lord. Don't we do that, by the way? You know? I'll give you another day, Lord, but if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to go worship something else. Maybe it'll be money. Maybe it'll be another religion. You know, maybe my friend who says that the Catholics have it right, maybe he's right. Right? That's what they were doing. They were impatient. They didn't trust the Lord. They didn't believe. I mean, how on earth would you, as a Jewish person, take all the gold you have, give it to Aaron to be melted down into a calf if you believe the promises of God? You didn't. And that was the issue. Exodus 32.3. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears. By the way, don't you think that was a little painful? They tore it off. What happens to the ear when you tear it off? Yeah. And they brought that all to Aaron. He took this from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And then what? Notice this. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Isn't that shocking? This is what I mean. They did it to an extreme. God always uses the extreme example to get the point across. They made, they fashioned, just like Paul talks about the pagan influence, they're going to fashion their own idol and say, you know what? It's not, it's not that guy on top of the mountain that led us out of Egypt. It was this metal thing that we fashioned with our own hands. We do, our culture does this all the time. You know, It's not the Lord blessing the United States that has caused us to have this freedom and prosperity. You know, that's not it. It was, it was capitalism. It was our own hands that did it. We did it. It was the same thing in a different way. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, you would think when Aaron heard that, he might realize, oh my gosh, what have I done? No. Now, when Aaron saw this, hey, wait a minute, they're worshiping 
the, this, this calf, this piece of metal. When Aaron saw that, what did he do? Did he chastise them and say, we need a day of fasting? Because Moses is up there with the Lord, and when he comes back down, there's going to be real trouble for us. This is a horrible insult to our God. He might destroy us. Did he say any of those things? What did he do? He built an altar before it. He said, I'm going to, we're going to really worship this false god now. I'm going to, they put an altar before it. And he made a proclamation. Now notice this one. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. In other words, he bought into the lie that this idol really was the Lord that, that, that brought him out of Egypt. Not the person who was talking to Moses. Can you imagine? It's unbelievable. So the next day they rose early and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings. And here's the quotation that we saw in 1 Corinthians 10. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What were they doing at that point? They ate and they drank and they danced before their idol. Just like the pagans did back in Egypt. Just like the pagans were doing in Corinth. It's the same thing. The Corinthians said, we have knowledge now. We can go and eat and drink and party at a, at a pagan's temple where they're sacrificing meat to the idol. And yet, and yet, that didn't turn out too well for the nation of Israel. Not at all. Some of the Corinthians thought they were knowledgeable and that they could attend a feast in a pagan temple, a temple dedicated to idols, and they could eat food that they knew was sacrificed to a false god and not be, not be corrupted at all. That's wrong. That's why Paul writes, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. They needed to learn the lessons from the experience of Israel in the wilderness. We need to learn the lessons. Back to 1 Corinthians 10.8. This is another reference to an Old Testament scripture. Nor let us act, let us act immorally as some of them did. The Jews in the desert. And 23,000 fell in one day. I'm trying to picture that. That would almost be as many who were um, at a Joel Olstein service on Sunday. You know, it's probably about 23,000. Have you ever seen those pictures? There's a lot of people, right? 23,000, I'm not saying they will. People are going to, like, take this the wrong way. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just giving you a sense of size. They all perished in one day. Can you, can you picture that? 23,000 people dying in one day? So there's a consequence to this acting immorally. All right, let's see what they were doing, though. Let's go to Numbers, whoops, Numbers 25, verse 1. Numbers 25, verse 1. See, so again, that, that, that marker of the 23,000 falling in one day tells us that he's talking about the events right here, Numbers 25. See, I want you to see what the immorality was, Really? Let me see what it really was. Numbers 25, 1 to 4. While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. You see, that's how it started. You see, they were attracted to these women who were not of the, of the 12 tribes of Israel. But then what happened? These daughters of Moab invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bow down to their gods, just like they were doing in the pagan temples in Corinth in the first century. You see, this is sometimes you really have to 
follow the references and go back to see what they're talking about? Because you would probably never pick up that these things are all about worshiping idols with food, you see, but that's what it is. They, they, they went to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal. That's another false god, all right, and of Peor. And the Lord was angry against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all of the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. Here again, and I hope the Corinthians learn the lesson. I hope we do. The great evil is idolatry. Lack of faith in the, in the, in the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the, and the, and the way they ex- expressed that was eating food Sacrifice to pagan idols, to pagan gods. But will the people learn? Will the people of Corinth, the church of Corinth, learn this lesson? Will we? Verse 9, verse Corinthians 10. Nor let us try or test the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. This was another event that happened in the desert, in the wilderness, when the nation of Israel tried, tested the Lord. And they were destroyed by serpents. Numbers 21, verses 4 to 6. Numbers 21, 4 to 6. How did they test the Lord? That's the thing you want to be asking. What does it mean to test the Lord, to try the Lord? What did they do, in other words? We we see what they did and we can say, oh, that's what it means. Numbers 21, 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea. Think about it. They're going around the same Red Sea that he delivered them out of supernaturally. I mean, you can't miss it, right? Think about it. They were going by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient. Notice all it takes. Impatient because of the journey. What happens then? The people spoke against God and Moses. And what did they say? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Can you see what an insult that is to the Lord? That you really think that the reason why I delivered you out of Egypt is that I could throw you in the, in the wilderness and have you die? I mean, how would you feel if you were God at that point? Why He brought them out of there so they could have their freedom, a land flowing with milk and honey, fulfill the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they had any clue that, that about God and His fulfillment of promises, they never would have said this. All because they were impatient. They couldn't wait a little longer to see God's deliverance again. For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. There was food, the manna from heaven, but we don't like it anymore. So what happens in verse 6? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. How did they test the Lord? With unbelief. They tested what it meant was that they questioned everything about what God had promised them. They actually accused the Lord of bringing them out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. That's how you test the Lord. When you say to yourself, you say, oh man, you brought me all this way, Lord, just to dump me off now? You mean you're not going to be here with me anymore? And we do that. We're facing something, maybe even impatience. You know, Lord, I've been praying for this for 36 hours now. Where are you? I'm impatient. Ah, you're not really like me. You're not really my father, you know. Now, we may not say it that way, but there are times in our heart that that's where we're going. The same kind of thing. 
They, but these people refuse again and again and again to just trust in the Lord. They thought the journey was taking too long. So they accused him of taking them out of Egypt to die. And we can also become impatient. Lord, you're taking too long to come through for me. What's that, Moses? We can do it, right? Can't we all become impatient with things? Lord, you're taking too long to come through for me. Do you want me to lose my job? You know, you really want me to lose my job, don't you, Lord? You're taking too long to come through for me. Well, you think you're going to let me starve here, aren't you, Lord? You know, the same one who said that he feeds the birds. You're going to make, you're, I'm going to starve, Lord. Do you want me to do that? Is that why you're not coming through for me? We do that. We do that to the Lord. We question him. We doubt him. We even accuse him of things. Verse 10. 1 Corinthians 10.10. 10. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, Israel is a picture. All right? What do I mean by that? Things happen to them in the natural world to illustrate for us the dangers and the consequences in the spiritual realm, in our, in our walk with the Lord. In other words, you, know, we have to, you, don't, you don't say, oh my gosh, if I grumble today, there's going to be a destroyer that shows up in my house and wipe me out. The grim reaper is going to be there. That's not it at all. Learn the lesson. What's the lesson? Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This is number, this is number 16. In the interest of time, I'm not going to go there. But in that chapter, number 16, the Lord put a group of rebels to death. All right? There were a group of rebels that were rebelling against Moses, and, and the Lord put them to death. He actually opened up the ground, and they fell in with their families. Now, that's a visual aid. But then what happened? Rather than the congregation of Israel saying, oh my gosh, we've seen the wrath of God. We've seen that he is just and righteous. We're going we're gonna to repent of anything that's in our heart, we're going to turn towards him. We're going to, we're going to worship him better than ever. Is that what they did? No. They grumbled. They grumbled. Can you imagine that? Seeing the power of, of God, his justice at work, and then grumbling. But they didn't grumble against the Lord. See, they, they were too smart for that. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You see, they said, you're the reason why these people died. Do we do that? Do we grumble against people, maybe people in authority, Maybe people were just around when something bad happened to us and we grumble against them. And then these people were destroyed. But it destroys our, our peace. It destroys our um, ability to appreciate the things of God. 1 Corinthians 10. Let's look at the last three verses for today. Now these things happened to them as an example as they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Church age believers. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able, but with any temptation, he'll also provide you the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. People who think they stand, they think that they, I got, I got this, I'm good, I'm standing, I have all the knowledge I need now, I've been studying Bible teachings for 10 years, I'm good, I know, I know all these things, 
What does the Bible say? You're in danger of falling. You're in danger. Why? Because you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And you know when you're in most danger of falling is when you face temptation. If you have any arrogance in your heart because you think you stand and you're, you're faced with temptation, you're going to fall. Now, the context here, of course, again, eating things, sacrifice to idols. Well, the Corinthians were in danger of falling. Why? Because they had knowledge. Remember they said that before? We have knowledge. We thought, they thought they were immune to any temptations related to eating food sacrificed to idols. Well, we know that happened to Israel when they were in the desert. But see, they didn't have the knowledge we have. You see, we're immune to any of that stuff now. Really. Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're under grace. We're not under the law. You see, we know that. So we can do whatever we want. You know? They were in danger of falling. They, saw, they thought they were on solid ground because of what they knew. Be careful when you appeal to your knowledge. The Corinthians, this is an important thing. I want to make sure we get to this. They use knowledge, but they use it as a mask. You know how it is. Oh, no, I don't really want that. It's just the principle of the matter. That's what they were saying. They used their knowledge as a mask. Why? To hide their real motivation. <laughs> to hide the real reasons for eating food sacrificed to idols. It wasn't their knowledge. They weren't saying, I want to demonstrate the grace of God. That's why I'm doing this. It wasn't that at all. You see, their motivation was things like peer pressure. My friends want to invite me to the temple to eat. That's really why I'm doing it. Family pressure. They're having a birthday party in the temple. I don't want to miss out. They'll think badly of me. I'll become the black sheep of the family. Social expectations, status. I'll lose my status. I'll lose face in front of these people. They're going to think I'm insulting them if I don't go eat that food. I won't be popular. As a matter of fact, I'll lose business. I might even get persecuted. These are the real reasons. But they use knowledge as a mask. Don't do the same thing. Be honest about your motivations. Don't insult the Lord by saying, you know, the real reason I'm doing this is because of this chapter and verse when the real reason you're doing that is because of selfish motives. Be careful of that. But here's the real thing. This is the thing we have to understand. Knowledge alone will never protect us from temptation. That's the thing to understand. Knowledge alone will never protect us from temptation. Paul learned that. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Right? I'm a wretched person. The knowledge isn't enough. He says, you know, I have the law of God and I love it in my mind, but there's a different law acting in my members that's preventing me from what's in my mind. Knowledge alone will not protect us from temptation, especially when it makes us arrogant. Now, this falling that Paul's talking about, I want to make sure of one thing, nothing to do with eternal salvation. There are some false teachers who will use passages like this to say that you can fall out of... (coughs) Favor with God and lose your salvation. Nothing to do with that. It has to do with finishing our race. I mean, think about it. If you stumble and fall, you're you're in a race, you're running, you're doing pretty well, then you stumble and fall. You've probably seen this in the Olympics, where somebody falls like midway through the race. Are they going to win? If you stumble and fall during a race, are you going to win? No. You know, the same thing in the Christian way of life. This is the danger, this is the falling. Not completing your course. Not being able to wear the crown like Paul said. I finished the race. There's a crown waiting for me. And notice that these things that can trip us up are temptations common to man. 
Don't think more highly. Don't think, we think all the time, oh, I'm being, I'm being tested by the devil. I'm being tested by God. No. These are common things. All men get tempted in these ways. It's your greed that's tempting you. It's your lust. It's dissatisfaction. Be honest. You're not, you're not going through some special trial because you're a Christian. Let's, let's face the facts. These things are common to man, but they can prevent the believer. Here's where the believer comes in, from winning the race. As Hebrews 12 tells us, they can be encumbrances. They can be sins that easily entangle us. Let's not do that. Let's run the race that's before us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. That's always the way of escape. When we're under temptation, don't rely on your knowledge. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at the things above. Things on earth will tempt you. Things above will never tempt you. The problem is with things on earth. But go and keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the solution. That's when he says he provides the way of escape. Don't make the same mistakes that the Corinthians made. Don't make the same mistakes that the Israelites in the wilderness made. Keep your mind on Christ. Keep your mind on the needs of others. And follow the right example. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that these things, when we look at them in the Old Testament, they are serious things. And the consequences for the nation of Israel were serious. And while we are in a different age now, the ends of the ages have come. We are not under law, but we are under grace. The same principle holds. We're playing with fire whenever we get involved with idolatry, whenever we get involved with looking at things and desiring things that you don't want us to have. There's consequences. Father, help us to learn the lesson. Help us to learn the lesson that we ought to turn away from those things and turn towards you and your son. Help us to, look, to use good examples in our lives rather than the bad examples. And most of all, Father, really though, help us to understand that you're our Father and you love us. And that we know that no matter how many times that we do fall, you're there to pick us up. But what you're looking for from us is not heroism, but faith. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. (coughs) Just a couple of reminders as we close. Today we're going to be Gathering together again Thursday on our Bible study at 7 o'clock at night. We are looking at the subject of eternal security. Just to build us all up on the fact that once we believe in Christ, once we're born again, God at that moment declares us to be perfectly righteous forever in His eyes. He gives us eternal life. And there's no scripture in the Bible that ever says He takes those things away. That's the, that's what we're, and we're going to go through a lot of scriptures to build us up because there's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of attacks. There's a lot of people that say you can lose your salvation in churches. So we need to be strengthened for ourselves and then to help other people. So please come if you can on Thursday, 7 o'clock. All right. Well, one other thing, a um, couple other things. Giving. Now, Elder Steve Pomeroy gave a great teaching, didn't he, on last Sunday on the subject of giving? Well, I hope you took some of that to heart. The essence of it is that in the same way that we have been given everything by the Lord, including the finances that are able to use to help others, you see, we, we, we believe that he's going to come through for us, right? We, oh, I don't know, I, I can't give you know, $100 because I might need that this week. 
when the God of Israel, the God of the God the Father, has said, I'm going to take care of you no matter what. I will meet all your needs. And I want you to give. Hmm. Right? We don't, but we look at things in an earthly way, not in a heavenly way. God loves a cheerful giver. The principle is not, oh, I have to give this amount of money every week. Oh, I have to tithe. None of that. That's wrong motivation. That's looking at other people and saying, look, look how great I am. No, that's not the motivation. It's a desire to want to help brothers and sisters. It's a desire to want the word of God to be preached. And that that motive in your heart is what, you, is what will motivate you to give and to give freely, no strings attached, just like he gives to us. All right. Um, once again, too, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we really have to give to the world. And make sure that you're clear on that. It's really straightforward. That we're all sinners. We're born dead in our trespasses and sins. And God found a way to turn us from death to life. To be able to take sinning people and have them in his presence forever. How did he do it? He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Born of a woman. 100% God and 100% man. And Jesus Christ went to the cross as our substitute. The just for the unjust the perfect for the imperfect, and died for our sins. I'm a sinner, but Jesus died for my sins. He was buried, and then on the third day, God raised him from the dead, which is another miracle, which is all we need to know in order to understand that Jesus is God. Everything that he said is true. He did die for my sins. He is risen from the dead. He has eternal life, and and God promises that when I believe in Christ, I give eternal life too. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, now that we leave, help us to apply these things and help us to have the right attitude. Help us to understand that it's faith and that we can do nothing without your help. And yet, believing is the manner in which we open things up and, and, and realize our, 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 we'll stop trying to do it ourselves and we'll just turn to you. So we just uh, help, help us to see those things clearly and the things we'll face this week. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. With that, you are dismissed to enjoy this day. If you have any questions, I'll be hanging around up front for a few minutes.